1: Welcome to learn from others where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest Dr. Alvin Sanders. Alvin, thank you for taking us on your career journey today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: That's great. I appreciate it. Well before we find out what you're actually doing today, let's start at the very beginning and would you please tell us what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: Well that's a that's a very difficult question. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things. I guess the the I guess I could start with where I was in high school, when I left high school, my thought was I really wanted to do something involving sports. I didn't care what it was, but I wanted to be involved in the sports realm, whether it was coaching or whether it was I, – I, I ended up majoring in physical therapy at one point. Uh, to be a trainer of athletes, but I really had a desire to do something in the realm of sports.
1: Was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies in school sports, like PE, or were you on the basketball team, or did you have another subject that you liked?
2: Yeah, I grew up playing typical three American sports, football, basketball, baseball. Then when I got to high school, I narrowed down the basketball and track. I played a little bit of basketball in college. So Yeah, that was just something of passion that I grew up with, and still still I'm a passionate sports fan.
1: Do you still play some? Do you still have a good jumper?
2: No, I do not. (laughs) That's been over a long time ago. Another life ago.
1: Another life ago. Okay, well, at least you can still enjoy it from the sidelines, right? Yes, I can. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, if you would, tell us, what do you do today?
2: I am president of a ministry called World Impact. World Impact is 48 years old. And what we do is we empower urban leaders around the world. We have initiatives in cities across the United States, as well as in 19 countries. And so we work with pastors and ministry leaders who focus their ministries in communities of poverty.
1: Wow, that's quite a ministry you have going on there. If you would, could you take us from the time that you were playing basketball and sports in college to how you got to where you are today today?
2: Yeah, I grew up in military bases around the world, and my dad ended up retiring in Columbus, Ohio. And so when I first went off to college, I, my first school was Bowling Green State University, and I wanted to major in physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And I talked about why before. I, I mean, I had enough sense to know that, you know, I wasn't very good. I wasn't going to, you know, make it to the NBA or anything like that. And I thought <laughs> about broadcast journalism and, and things of that nature. but. I landed on, okay, well, I, I really enjoy physical therapy and I think I can get, my, my goal was to own my own sports physical therapy business. That was the goal. Yet, as, as I was at Bowling Green State, my my faith began to grow through mm. a, a campus ministry. And by my junior year, I realized that, you know, what my real passion was, although I love sports, my real passion was, was ministry. I love to preach and teach because I was very involved in a and a Bible study on campus. And, and those things really spoke to my heart. And, and I felt like, you know, I, I think that's what I want to give my life to. That's that's the vocation that I want to choose. I want to go into ministry. After three years at, at Bowling Green, I had an opportunity to transfer to Cincinnati Christian University, in which I did. I transferred down there and I finished up my bachelor's degree in biblical studies. Then after that, my first job out of out of Cincinnati Christian University was I worked for uh, City Gospel Mission in Cincinnati mm-hmm. okay. where I, I ran a program in which we worked with families in poverty that uh, were transitioning, trying to transition to get jobs and things of that nature so that they can get off of uh, federal assistance. So I did that for a number of years and then uh, went up to Chicago and worked for a ministry called Circle Urban Ministry where I was called what's called a community chaplain. Where we went out in the community and we we worked with individuals uh, who were receiving things from the the ministry's food pantry. The, the ministry also had a had a school, so if there were parents that were in need, spiritual need, we would go and minister to the parents and just a wide variety of things. So basically, just trying to raise the common good level, so to speak, within the community of just trying to help make that community a better place. It was the uh, west side of Chicago, Austin neighborhood. Um, high crime and a lot of things that came with that so we were just trying to be a beacon of hope a beacon of light Mm. in that community and then in 2000 me and my wife moved back to Cincinnati and we planted a church called River of Life Church I'm planning a church for people who don't know what that means is we started a church from scratch in the community of over the Rhine, and at that time that neighborhood was the second most violent neighborhood in the entire country and one of the things that happened there historically when we were getting started with our church is uh, there's a Ferguson-type situation. There was a young African-American man who was shot by a white police officer, lots of different civil unrest. That was like at the beginnings of our church, and we wanted to be a witness in the middle of all that about God's goodness for the community. So we, we started that church and that church is still around 19 years later, I'm glad to say. But in 2007, I felt the call to go to work for the denomination that that church was a part of, mm-hmm. and ran what was called the All People Initiative, where the denomination had 1,500 or so churches. And I would work specifically with the churches that were immigrant churches, multicultural churches, urban churches. That was sort of my portfolio. And I had a team of people and we would coach those churches to help, help them to be healthy as well as try to get those churches to start other churches. Mm-hmm. So then in 2015, I uh, left the denomination and, and came to World Impact. And I came over it with World Impact first in the senior vice president level, and then the person who hired me ended up going off and doing something else. And so then the organization asked me to be president in 2017. So this is where we're at.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's quite a career journey. And it seems like, you know, your mission, your goal for each one is the same, kind of helping spread the gospel while helping those in need. And it seems like you're expanding the level of impact as you continue moving on to different projects. Would you agree?
2: Yes, and and I would say for me there was no script. It was simply sort of going to where I felt the next step in in my development as both an individual and a person as well as the influence that I would say that God wanted me to have. Mm, So mm -hmm. if you rewind the clock 20, 30 years ago, however many years it was when I was in college, there's no way I could have told you this is what I'm going to be doing 25 right. or so years ago. I had to be extremely flexible, had to sort of always be uh, open to what may be coming down my way, while at the same time being focused upon what was in front of me.
1: Right, right. Well, in the name of your organization, World Impact. That's a great name because it seems like you are impacting folks on a global scale. So if you would, yeah, tell us what is your average week like I used to ask average day, but that was too difficult. So what's your average week like in this role?
2: Well, essentially, as a CEO, there are what I call several buckets that my time is going to be in. One is major donor development. We're a nonprofit organization, and nonprofit organizations receive their revenue from people who believe in the mission of the organization. And they say, hey, we like the way you all are changing the world, so we want to give finances to that. So Mm -hmm. I spend time and Doing that, I also spend a lot of time doing what, what I call talent development, which is we have 180 staff members, and I have an executive team, so building a, a sort of structure, an infrastructure, so that we are investing in our staff and our people to help them develop the gifts and talents that they have in order for them to be more effective in their contribution to the ministry. Then there's uh, a bucket that I call strategic planning, you know, or I, I call jokingly think time. You know, right. somebody at some point has to go off and think about things, mm-hmm. about wh- what's the next move or engage things that, uh, that need to be engaged. So figure out what the company, not the company, but the ministry strategic priorities are. So that really has to be carved out because if it's not carved out, my time will just be eaten with travel and things of that nature as I'm I'm on the road about 100 days a year so I have to make sure that I clear out enough time to be able to think things through really that's what right. it boils down to to be able to do that and then there's another one that I think people totally completely underestimate and I call that personal development mm-hmm. and I actually think that that's the number one thing that people should do that they don't do and that is challenging myself to do things that will cause me to become a better leader so what am I doing intentionally to develop my skill set in order for me to grow as a leader you know you look at my schedule if you were to pull up my outlook and look at where I spend my time and energy I literally have a color-coded system that I put colors on each one of these buckets and then at the end of the month I like tally it up to see how many hours I spend doing those things so that for the next month if I see I'm I'm not balanced in one area or not balanced in another, I try to correct that.
1: Wow, that's really wise, because you working on your personal growth will help you as a leader you know, in that job function, which is a great way to look at it. you got to invest in yourself to invest in others. That's great. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Now, what would you say is one of the most challenging, and the flip side of that, the most rewarding aspects of your job?
2: Well, the, the, the reward that I get is seeing the, the difference in which ministry makes for people's lives. You know, there, there are literally people, you know, I've been in ministry for 26 years. There are literally people that I can say, if it wasn't for the fact that they engaged in the, one of the ministries that I led, that they would be leading a totally, completely different life. Right. Um, and I would even shudder to think with the, with the population in, in which I've worked with that they may even be dead if they didn't meet our ministry, if they mm-hmm. may be in jail or something of that nature. But they have totally and completely different lives, and they're more stable, and they're more successful because of the fact that our ministry worked with them to help them to be better people.
1: Wow. Wow, that's great. Now, what's one of the most challenging aspects?
2: The challenging aspect is that uh, World Impact is a very complex organization. We are actually in process of totally and completely redefining ourselves. And so for a ministry that's 48 years old and we have 180 member staff, it's like turning an aircraft carrier. If you want to turn an aircraft carrier, you have to start 12 miles out to get to your destination. (laughs) So we're about at mile six. And so making all the necessary moves and doing it very deliberately while at the same time not making any rash moves that would potentially harm the ministry, you know, That's, that's done very carefully, but, but it's a, it's a big challenge. You know, there are people who've been with the organization for 20, 30 years and they say, oh, well, I didn't sign up for that. I say, well, you're exactly right. You didn't. So we've got to, you either, you've got to change to where we're going or we've got to help you transition out to somewhere else. So. Lots of hard conversations along those lines.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that is something that can always be a challenge in a work environment. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster, and additional resources are under the resource tab. So we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was something to do with sports, and we learned what you do now. So looking back, turning the clock back, as you said, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently?
2: Oh, man. Was a loaded <laughs> question. You know, people, people say, I have no regrets. I don't know how people go through life and say that, to be quite honest with you. I got all kinds of regrets. I got <laughs> hundreds of regrets.
1: Well, share the top it's, 10. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. No, it's the thing that I would do differently is to not be such in a hurry to get to the destination, but just sort of enjoy the process, sort of stop and smell the roses, you know, and to, and to, and to take your time mm-hmm. in developing things, to be productive, but to take your time. John Wooden, the old UCLA basketball coach who, who mm-hmm. won 10 national championships, used to have a saying, he said, be quick but not in a hurry. And so what he would mean by that is try to focus and try to get to what the task that you're trying to accomplish in a, in a timely manner but don't try to get there so quickly that you mess it up because you're in a hurry. Right. Yep. So I would talk about just to be very deliberate and, and to pace and to be extremely flexible. Because I, I, I jokingly say, really like half jokingly say, you're, you're not even grown till you're 30. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough life experience to be mature till you hit 30. So enjoy the pace. Very few people are going to be doing at 50 – what they thought they were going to be doing at 18.
1: Right. And so right. just
2: uh, just just understand that. Just know it's not that what you're doing between 18 and 30 is not important, but just know that it's probably preparation for something else. It's not going to be where you land. Right. So it's very valuable, It's very valuable time. But don't think that you're going to, what you think you're going to be at 18, very few people uh, are that thing at 50. So right. I wish I had – known that and somebody has sat that sat me down and told me that when I was planning things out because I'm a very task-oriented person and I want to, looking for the next mountain to climb and I want to climb that mountain. I'm much more interested in the next mountain to climb than the mountain I just climbed. And with age and maturity, what I figured out is stop looking for so many mountains to climb, you know, enjoy the view when you do get to the summit of something that you've accomplished and just be more in pace. Don't be in such a hurry. Don't don't be trying to accomplish things just for the sake of accomplishing things, but to truly figure out early. If I truly would have figured out early my purpose, not my vocation because that's different, mm-hmm. but what's my purpose, then I think the vocational chase would have went much better. Right, right.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's make the assumption someone wants to do what you do. Now, you can define that as you wish. As a ministry leader, as a nonprofit leader, as a minister, what advice would you give them? Is there a typical career path? Because it sounds like you did not go on the typical career path.
2: Yeah, well, in some ways that I did, I'll just choose. I'll say nonprofit. I won't say ministry. I'll say nonprofit because that's broader. Nonprofit leaders typically are people who are driven by wanting to change the world. In some way, shape, fashion, or form, they want their lives to count, and they want it to say, "You know what? What? What I'm doing, because I'm doing it, the world is being changed." Mm. You know, obviously, for me as a minister, I believe that the world is changed through spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet there are other nonprofits that you know that exist for clean water, or or whatever it may be, the Red Cross, or this, that, the other. But the thing that that all nonprofit leaders share is that they have a passion to want to see the world change to be a better place. Mm -hmm. So if if that's the track that you're going to choose, there are things when you go to college you should choose a major in that arena. Um, Obviously, when I went to college, I started off when I went to Bowling Green State. I started off in physical therapy, but when I transferred to Cincinnati Christian University, I chose a major in biblical studies because I know I wanted to go into ministry. But you know, I have a I have a daughter who's a senior at Ohio State, and she's studying uh, public affairs. And so there are there are many schools that offer degrees in in the area of nonprofit leadership. Because I even believe that she has a track at Ohio State where there is a nonprofit leadership track. So her degree will be in public management, I believe, in the School of Public Affairs, and she'll have a like a certificate for nonprofit leadership. So I would say if you're going to go to college, to pursue a degree in the passion that you have in the area of nonprofit that you may want to go into. Then I also would say the hands down, the most valuable thing is to get out there and get what I call OJT, on the job training. Mm -hmm. Get out Mm -hmm. there and start volunteering in the area that you're passionate about. Because what you'll probably find is You'll think you're very passionate about something, and then you'll go do it, and you'll go, ah, nah, that's not what I want to do. So then you want to go try something else, and try as many things as possible before you pick a vocational track. So for instance, an example of that is when I first got into ministry, I thought that I wanted to be a youth ministry guru, somebody who works with teens and, and things of that nature. And then when I went and started volunteering and working with kids and teens, I found out Pretty fairly quickly, that I got along with their parents much better than I got along with the kids. Right. So I said, you know what? Maybe perhaps I don't want to be working with kids and teens. That's great for people to work with kids and teens, but what I thought I would enjoy and love when I got down to the nitty gritty, you know, the devil's in the details, so to speak, I said, you know, I actually am much more effective working with their parents. Right. (laughs) So so that's when I switched over to adult ministry. So so that would be my advice
1: okay yeah and typically I would ask another question about what what advice would you give someone who is currently in college but I think you just nailed it the the on-the-job experience I think that's great advice for someone who's currently in some type of school
2: if you're currently in college or a trade school I think that the dirty little secret that people don't understand in today's day and age is when you have that degree your potential employer is going to want to see one to two years of, of experience Mm hmm. There, there was a time when you could just have a degree and you get out and they say, oh, we'll give you the experience. I think those days are over. Mm-hmm. Most folk who don't have any problem finding a, a vocation or a job, it's because they while they were in college, they did a number of internships or they they or, or, or for instance, like I'll go back to my daughter again. She wanted she wants to go and go to graduate school and, and be in higher education administration. So she was a resident assistant for 2 years at Ohio State. So she got she'll, she'll have her degree, she'll have her certification and she'll have 2 years of work experience. She she's finding that that puts her at the top of the heap as opposed to a lot of kids who may have just went and got their degree and they don't have any type of work experience. Right. So I, I would highly encourage anybody who's in in college right now to figure out a way don't don't waste your summers go find an internship whether it's paid or not paid Um, if you could volunteer put a bunch of hours in volunteering somewhere during your school year time and potential employers is going to are going to want to see some baseline uh, work experience
1: right yeah absolutely and that's for like an internship even if it's a non-paid internship Yep. You know those are so important, and the company that you're interning with is looking at you as a prospective employee. I mean, they wouldn't have brought you in as an intern if they didn't think it might be possible. So yeah. those are yeah. incredibly valuable.
2: Yeah, because I think even in the I think in the business world, I think they even put it in your I, I don't know, but I, I've heard from people who major in business that they like even put it in your degree program. Right. So like yep. it's impossible, but I think with nonprofits, you more have to build it in because they have that same expectation on the nonprofit side as well.
0: Right,
1: right. And for our listeners, you can listen back to some other nonprofit career journeys with Joel Buckelman from Changing Gears, and then also Kim Kern from the Children's Theater. Are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share?
2: Yeah, I'd say the most exciting project I'm working on right now is we are actually researching out. One of the things that, that World Impact does is we are the largest trainer of people who want to start churches and urban communities of poverty. So if you, if you wanted to start a church in a community of poverty, we, we, uh, we have a training program that we help uh, equip people to be able to do that. And so what we're doing right now is we're, we're trying to locate and survey every person that we've trained since the 90s to see what the outcomes were. Like, okay, we trained you, what happened? Right. So that's kind of exciting. We're trying to find people, and we're interviewing them, and then we're gathering the information, and then we're going to compile all that, Then I'm going to turn a book into it, and it's going to be a book project. And then hopefully by uh, fall of 2020, we'll publish that book as a resource for folk who want to start churches and communities of poverty around the country.
1: Wow, that's really great. So you're taking, what, 40-something years of experience and. trying to learn from what worked, what didn't work, and encapsulate it into a book that others can learn from. Yep, yep. Wow. That's really great. And as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And I'm a huge car enthusiast, so would you please tell me, what was your first car?
2: Oh, man. It was a <laughs> um, Mercury Topaz. Whoa. A Mercury Topaz in, let's see, I bought it in 1988? Yes, I bought it off my parents. It was a 19, 85 or 84 Mercury Topaz, and my mom was getting another car, so I bought it off of her for 2500
1: Wow, the only Mercury Topaz I have experience with was beige. What color was yours?
2: Mine was blue. Oh, good. <laughs> it was <laughs> That's blue. I, I, I nicknamed it The Boss. I said it was the boss of the road. <laughs> I ran that thing into the ground, drove it all over the country. Oh, I that's ran that awesome. car hard, <laughs> really hard.
1: Well, what's your dream car if you have one?
2: You know, to be quite honest with you, I'm not a car guy. I really, I, I mean, I've ridden some really nice cars, but I don't even <laughs> know if I know enough about. I, I just like cars to start and work. Well, that's okay. You know? That's a dream that's car. That's in a, yeah. I guess I would say my my uncle loves Mercedes Benz Benzes. So mm-hmm. he 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 literally gets a new Mercedes Benz every five years. Oh, just because wow. he loves cars and he just like okay I'm paying it off I'm getting another one. That's so cool. <laughs> so those have been really nice. I, I would guess I would have to say that.
1: Well that's really cool and you have a very achievable dream. You know your dream car is one that you can have tomorrow, you know or you've already have. So that's great. One that starts and goes. Well, I
2: like that. Well I can yeah there you go. So I'm pretty <laughs> easy on cars.
1: Well one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world I'd love to buy you a company car based on your job and I'm going okay. old school on you. Okay. What I did is I I said, world impact empowers folks to succeed. Um, And so I went, I'm like, well, what car really impacted the middle class and really helped people succeed or get out of poverty? And so I went way back to Ford, the early Fords. So I picked for you a 1927 Model T rat rod. And here's why. Wow. Yeah. So the Ford, Ford's goal was to democratize the automobile. And since he used the moving assembly line, he, he brought you know, the assembly line into major practice. He came about with a $5 workday. He helped create the middle class, people who could never afford a car, could now afford a car. They could start exploring. And because of the assembly line, uh, the price went down from $850 to $360. So it went way down. Um, this particular car is available, like as a five passenger, a three passenger, a lot of different fun things. And then also the the Model T was designed to go anywhere. It could go off road. It was used for farming. They would actually take off the rear tire, rear wheel, and hook up pulleys, and they could use it to cut wood, to to mill <laughs> grain. Uh, right it was ahead. just very utilitarian. And the re- and also I don't know if you know this or not, but the excess wood in making the Model T, they didn't even throw that away they turned them into briquettes and that's where kingsford charcoal company came from came from <laughs> ford not wanting to wow. waste anything and wow. on top of that i picked for you a rat rod and a rat rod is where if someone can't afford to spend a lot of money and hot rod a car they make do with what they have so they might need a door handle for this car well they might not have the the correct door handle but they have a door knob, and so they'll put like household appliances or anything to get these cars up and running, and they're super cool, customizable, and very imaginative. So that's why I chose a rat rod specifically for you, and I will send you a picture of exactly what I'm talking about after
2: this call. I think you nailed it. I think you did. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. That that definitely matches my personality.
1: Well, good. I put a little too much work into that, but I'm a car guy, so it's, it's fun for me. So... <laughs> Well, thank you, Alvin, so much for taking us on your career journey. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and World Impact?
2: Well, you can go to the World Impact website, worldimpact.org. Um, if anybody wants to contact me, they can contact me at the email address president at worldimpact.org.
1: That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your journey today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at GregStanleyLFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.